This is the Drummer's Resource Podcast, session 372, and you're listening to The Daniel Glass Show, only on Drummer's Resource. This is it, right here. Uh-huh. Then you gotta add some with a little trick. Ah, ah, you'll be swinging. Uh-huh. Right. It's The Daniel Glass Show on Drummer's Resource, offering a deeper look into Daniel's unique take on music, drumming, and life. Philosophy, motivation, musical deconstructions, and conversations with influential voices in the music industry. Hey everybody, Daniel Glass here. I want to welcome you back to another episode of the Daniel Glass Show on Drummer's Resource. And today, before we jump in, I just want to remind you that registration for the 2018 Daniel Glass New York Jazz Intensive is open. We're just about three months away from the event. It's June 1 through 4 here in New York City, jazz capital of the universe. So come spend four days and nights hanging out with me and some very special guests that we're about to announce. Really absorb yourself in the world of jazz, not only in the classroom, but in the city itself. And all the details can be found at danielglass.com. Go to the Clinics Intensives tab at the website, danielglass.com. All right, so let's move on to today's episode. And today we're going to jump in and talk about some drum technique. And specifically, we're going to talk about rudiments. Now, what's interesting, a lot of people say, well, what's the purpose of, of learning rudiments? I'm a drum set player. I want to just jam on my drum set. Why do we need to sit on a pad and learn about rudiments? Well, the whys of learning rudiments, I suppose, are, um, you know, they're hotly debated. Do you need to learn rudiments to be a great drum set player? Some say yes, some say no. But, um, you know, definitely rudiments go back a long time, and they are an integral part of what drummers have done for many hundreds of years. They were first developed in Europe by um, actually Swiss, French, German, Austrian drummers, um, many of whom worked as mercenaries, believe it or not. You know, the, the country of Switzerland has always been known for being a neutral country, and so back in the day, uh, the, the Swiss drummers would hire themselves out to other armies that were fighting in the region, and therefore their way of learning um, these different hand combinations that we now know as rudiments today, that's what we call them, um, sort of spread uh, throughout Europe, because they were always hiring the Swiss drummers to come in and uh, assist on a mercenary, musically mercenary level. So, in any case, that's sort of the origins of rudiments. We know they come from a, a marching military background. Um, and, you know, when it comes to drum set playing, um, I, I did some research and I sort of looked up, why do we need to know rudiments? Um, and, you know, one of the one of the great sort of quotes that I found, uh, it said, you know, it said that they're the building blocks to every drum beat pattern, fill, and solo. And they really are. They are the building blocks of what we do. A lot of people say they're sort of the raw materials. They're the letters of the alphabet. Um, if you want to put together a vocabulary, then having these different rudimental patterns at your disposal uh, is, is beneficial. And I certainly would agree with all of that. I think that the more that you know about rudiments, the more that you're able to um, articulate rudiments, even on a single surface, when you begin to move them around the drum set, it really brings your drum set playing to life. Um, for example, uh, single strokes, 
you know, you could play single stroke rolls around the drums all day. But when you begin to learn paradiddles and paradiddle combinations, paradiddle variations, suddenly your ability to make those single strokes and the way they move around the drums and the type of combinations that you create uh, really opens up vast uh, new areas of territory for you. So debates about rudiments aside, if we assume that rudiments are important, um, then, you know, that's what this podcast is dedicated to. And it's not only just dedicated to talking about rudiments, it's actually dedicated to saying, well, if, if rudiments are the building blocks of every drum beat, pattern, fill, and solo that we play, what are the building blocks of rudiments? Uh, and what do I mean by this? Well, in teaching, I do a lot of teaching, of course, in working with my private students and working on developing rudiments. What I find is that um, rudiments themselves can be broken down into smaller components. And if we sort of break down rudiments into these smaller components, our ability to learn them more quickly and more effectively uh, is enhanced. So um, I'm going to explain what I mean by this process, and I'm actually going to do a little bit of playing on a pad today, which hopefully will translate uh, through the airwaves without you being able to uh, see me do this. Um, But I want to, of course, begin, as I begin most of my podcast, by going back and uh, talking about what I call dissecting rudiments. What I sort of feel that I do is to dissect rudiments. And where does this come from? What does this term mean? Well, we could trace it back to 1991. Here comes story time, folks. 1991. I had just graduated from the Dick Grove School of Music in Los Angeles and was basically an unemployed drummer who claimed to be calling himself a professional but was really just trying to get it together and kind of take any opportunity that I could. So it was a, it was an interesting period. But one of the... Uh, opportunities that I came across, just literally, I think, one of the first things I did after getting out of school was, um, you know, the school was located in Van Nuys, California, and very near to the school, there was a fledgling drum corps that was sort of trying to establish itself. I cannot remember the full name of the man who established that corps. I know his first name was Tom. He, um, he called the Corps the Valley Regiment. And of course, for those of you who are into DCI, you know that if you call something, you know, uh, the cadets or the regiment, uh, all these sort of traditional sounding um, quasi-military terms, a lot of the most famous, um, you know, drum corps in DCI have those sorts of names. So in in honor of those, this gentleman, Tom, was uh, putting together what he called the Valley Regiment. And what was really cool about this was that it it was a a very very small community oriented project he he himself i think had done a lot of stuff um with uh the santa clara vanguard uh he he had been he'd had some experience in you know some of the bigger corps but what he was trying to do in this case was create a drum corps for underprivileged kids um many of whom were in you know into drumming but had no you know did not have the means to afford the often very expensive fees involved in um, joining some of the bigger cores. They, they can often be very expensive uh, for kids to be a part of. So what he tried to do was create, um, and, and he succeeded to some degree, but create a, a community-based uh, drum corps that was in the San Fernando Valley that um, was, was made up of 
kids that uh, did not have the um, economic means to to join other corps. So I sort of began my career. Uh, one of the many projects I did and uh, sort of gigs that I did was I, I helped this guy Tom out and was trying to build uh, this this little fledgling core up, uh, you know, and and get it off the ground. But one of the really cool things that happened during this process, and I don't think I was involved for all that long, maybe maybe uh, less than a year. But he brought in a special guest uh, who is sort of a legend in the world of drum corps, and that special guest was a guy named Tom Float. Tom Float. And for those of you who um, are familiar, again, with the world of, of DCI and drum corps, you know that Tom Float is, is truly one of the legends. Um, he got very involved as a performer in corps, uh, in the 60s and 70s, but really he's best remembered for uh, his work with the famed Concord Blue Devils, who are, who are one of the top drum corps in the world. Um, and his work that he did, Float, the work that Float did with the Blue Devils between 1982 to 1990, um, he really revolutionized and modernized what drum corps is all about, uh, kind of set down the path for for what what drum corps has become and as a result uh, of his innovative and pioneering work with the blue devils he won four consecutive percussion titles in the 80s i'm sorry not uh, yes consecutive 83 84 85 and 86 um anyway i did not know who tom float was but uh the other tom brought him in to do a clinic for these kids and and he tom float these days is based in southern california i've actually seen him at disneyland uh, he's worked a lot with the Disney folks. He created something called the Trash Can Trio, which is, um, if you've ever been to a Disney property or amusement park, they almost all have this type of a performer, roving street performers. They dress up as janitors. And uh, I know at the one, I've seen another one, I think at Epcot Center called the Jamiters. And what they do is they look like they're just janitors walking around and suddenly they, you know, their trash cans turn into essentially uh, drum corps type instruments, you know, uh, quads or quints, a set, snares, bass drum, and they perform on this, you know, garbage cans and things. So it's sort of like stomp meets drum corps. And very entertaining stuff. And I've seen Tom do that at, at Disneyland. I'm not sure if he's still there. But um, he's also sort of a, you know, he's a consultant and does all kinds of stuff now. But... Um, what what he did at this clinic kind of blew me away. I mean, first of all, he brought up a, a, a binder that had a lot of really fantastic rudimental ideas. And for those of you, again, who know the world of drum corps, there's, there's the 26 rudiments uh, that are the standard rudiments you learn. Any sort of marching drummer learns those 26 rudiments. They've, they've been around for a long time. But then that's been expanded to 40 rudiments, which includes a lot of the more modern drum corps rudiments. And now... There are many, many more standard rudiments in the world of drum corps that have all kinds of crazy names like cheeses and chittazas, and uh, I can't begin, I'm not an expert in that world, but I dipped my toe in 1991 into this scene and was really impressed by just how deep it is in the world of rudiments. But one thing that Tom Flo did while working on these rudiments, he said two things. He said, number one, when you're working on rudiments, use, try and play the rudiment with your fingertips on on your pad. Put your sticks down and just see if you can make the rudiment happen with your, you know, your fingers on the pad. And I thought that was very interesting. And it sort of ties into my um, podcast I did a few weeks back, which is called um, 
make the world your practice room. And so, you know, this allows you, if you're waiting around or you're on an airplane flight or you're on the bus or the subway, uh, you just got a break, you know, to kind of practice rudimental ideas without even having to have a pair of sticks. But the other thing he said, which is what I'm really going to focus on today, is what he said is, take one hand and put it on your leg while you're practicing rudiments. And this is something that um, I've done over the years, and I really do it a lot with my students. And this is what I mean by dissecting rudiments. If you're working on a rudiment, a lot of times, you know, because we've got two hands going on a pad and we're just trying to make the rudiment happen and get it going, we end up missing a lot of information about that. And um, if we take one hand and uh, move it over to our thigh, for example, and simply play the other on the pad, what we can discover is a whole nother world, a whole nother level of deep deepness related to what is going on in this rudiment. And by understanding the role of each hand, we can really clarify what is supposed to be going on in the rudiment, and we can work quickly to facilitate change with that hand. So, um, I'm going to jump in, and uh, also in my research about rudiments, uh, I sort of, it, it came to pass that most rudiments are made up of five basic components. Singles, doubles, paradiddles, flams, and drags. And if we can get these five things together, then we can really um, implement these elements when building other rudiments. So I'm, I'm going to stick to probably four of these today. Singles, doubles, paradiddles, and flams. I'm going to demonstrate a couple of different rudimental ideas in each one of these categories and sort of show you how, you know, by thinking about the role of each hand, you can um, really get deeper inside and dissect these rudiments. So rudimental dissection, I guess that's the theme of today. So let's start with the most basic thing, which is a single stroke roll. And I think a lot of people tend to bypass the single stroke roll as a rudiment, and they don't practice it as a rudiment. They just sort of say, well, you know, it's only a single stroke roll. What's the big deal? Uh, well, it's a big deal because guess what? You know, most of the fills that we do around the drum set, or a lot, at least when we're starting out, are single stroke rolls, you know, rolling down the tom tom. So if you're very tight and stiff, or, you know, have inequalities in your hands when playing single stroke rolls, uh, you know, you're going to be. Uh, at a at a disadvantage when now you've not only got to play the single stroke roll on one surface, you've got to move it around other surfaces, get back to say a crash on beat one, et cetera, et cetera. So in terms of the single stroke roll, uh, I I have talked extensively about an exercise that I teach called the throw up exercise, and um, I'll put a link to that in the show notes to this page. But you can go back and and listen to that podcast. I basically it's about uh, pulse and the creation of pulse and the use of this throw-up exercise in creating pulse as a, as a timekeeping mechanism uh, in terms of not only jazz, but rock, and it, it's tremendously helpful. So when I talk about the throw-up exercise, I generally talk about it fairly slow. But if we understand this idea, this motion of throw-up, what, what we could do is just with one hand, we can, and I'm sorry, I'm going to sort of move in and out of the mic here because I've got my practice pad and I'm all wired in, but we can you know, begin to just understand how we can speed up that throw-up motion and still maintain a relaxed stance. So if you imagine a basketball player that is uh, that is bouncing a ball, 
uh, and wants to go faster, they're going to make their bounce lighter and softer, and they're going to use less energy and motion to make that happen. So the equivalent of this would be, here I am doing my throw-up exercise, and if I want to speed that up, my goal is to make my motion smaller and lighter. without getting too tense, okay? Now, I'm probably taking it to about as fast as I can go. Um, but the idea is that I'm just, if my wrist is the basketball, my hand is the basketball, and I'm just bouncing my hand, say, with the other hand, using the other hand to, to dribble that basketball, um, I can get to some fairly decent speed just by using that technique, okay? Now, I should talk briefly here about speed and my approach to speed. A lot of people think that the only reason to learn rudiments and to get better at them is so you can play them as fast as possible. And I would strongly disagree with that contention. Uh, a big part of learning rudiments and indeed learning hand technique in general is not only to develop speed, but to develop clarity and articulation and really getting your idea to be clearly heard so that when you play a flam that the world knows, and even I'm talking about non-musicians that just appreciate music on a non-technical level, but the world knows that what you are playing is supposed to sound like plum, plum, you know, the sound, it's a, you know, the, the idea is the rudiment sounds like what it is, flam, flam, plum, plum, right? So if you can make everything that you play that clear, it really doesn't matter what the tempo is, the clarity is what is going to sell your case for, for, playing rudimental ideas. And I'm specifically speaking about rudiments, not grooves, uh, although rudiments can be involved in grooves, etc. So now if I take my, my other hand, and I'm a traditional grip player, um, and I do the same thing, uh, and in this case, this would be the left hand, my first hand. Uh, I'm a lefty, but I'm just going to make all the stickings here as if it was for a righty. So here's my right hand, and here's my left hand. And I put them together, of course. Okay, so pretty nice single stroke roll. Maybe won't break the, the fastest stroke in the West contest. But again, the idea I'm going, going for here is not is to be able to increase my speed without losing, uh, without adding tension and without losing clarity, right? So that's one particular way of doing a single stroke roll. And again, work on each hand separately. Uh, then put the other hand on your leg and see what happens. So, okay, here's my single stroke roll without the other hand on my leg. So just one hand. And now I'm going to add the other hand on my leg. Now, what happened to the first hand? Did the first hand, you know, get thrown off by the addition of the second hand? Did I lose the clarity and the consistency of my sound? Well, if that's the case, then that's a problem. So you need to go back and work on that first hand again until things are you know, really in the muscle memory that adding the second hand doesn't throw it off. So that's the idea here. We're separating the hands, we're dissecting, we're analyzing, we're figuring out what each hand needs to do better, and then we need to put it back together again. So that when we put the whole back together, it makes more sense because we've worked on the idea of uh, the individual's sides, okay? Um, 
So single strokes. Let's move on to doubles. Now, when there's a lot of ways to do doubles. And again, I should also mention in terms of what mechanism you're using, it depends. You know, are you going to play your doubles with arms? Are you going to play your doubles with wrists? Are you going to play your doubles with fingers? And as my students well know, my philosophy about all these things is the answer is yes. Right? So, you know, heel up or heel down? Yes. Traditional or matched? Yes. Uh, Arms, you know, wrists or fingers? Yes. And of course, what that depends on is um, what happens uh, the speed, the tempo that's required. So if I'm going very fast, I'm going to use a smaller mechanism, so I'm going to use fingers. If I'm going very slow or I'm going to hit much harder, then I'm going to use more arms, say I'm playing the drum set. Uh, if I'm uh, somewhere in the middle, I'm going to use the wrist. So when I teach doubles, uh, there is a technique. I use a lot of what's a sort of up and down idea, stroke, tap, up, down. And it's, it's, it's much too complex to get into the specifics of that in this particular podcast. But the way I do it is if, if I'm going to, say, play eighth notes with sort of an up-down motion that is a nice fluid motion, it's going to sound something like this. Again, I want to create the illusion of evenness here so that whether I'm going down or up, you can't tell the difference, right? So I get this kind of up-down thing happening. Right? And then I'm going to double that in both directions. So I'm thinking one E and a two E and a. So I'm going to do that on one side, kind of an up down doubles idea. On the other side, I'm going to play just uh, taps as the second half of my doubles exercise. So I'm going to do I'm going to do it this way. Uh, when I teach taps, the idea of a tap is you're simply letting the stick fall onto the head over uh, over the fulcrum, and so that would sound just a drop, lift, drop, lift, drop. Again, going for an even kind of a sound, and you can of course double up that tap idea. So now it's going to be lift, lift, drop, lift, lift. I'm playing. I'm not playing these doubles. They're simply falling. So with this this idea of sort of a lead hand that is playing an up and down motion and a sort of a, a, a hand that is more passive, I guess you could say, that's playing these taps, uh, I can create a nice double stroke concept and it has the lead hand really sort of guiding the way. Now, just because one hand is playing taps and the other hand is playing stroke tap combo, it doesn't mean that uh, that we have to, that, that the two hands have to sound different. So ideally it sort of sounds like this. Right? So, I mean, the idea is the better we get at this, we even it out. Uh, and again, you know, as you play your double stroke role, it shouldn't, it sh- you don't want it to sound like this. You know, that's how a lot of people's double stroke roles sound. It sounds like two hands, you know, playing 
two strokes back and forth, sets of, of two strokes back and forth. What you want it to sound like is or if you're just playing like a long roll. So that idea of, you know, the lead hand sort of defi- divides things up into groups of two or groups of four, but you can smooth things out. So you're still grouping things, but you're feeling these doubles in a very even way. Right? Now we can also, you know, there's, as I said, many ways to play doubles. As we get faster, we can integrate fingers more into what we're doing. Uh, or, you know, if we want a different kind of a sound to our double stroke roll, we can take, um, we could take that idea of just the drops and we can let both hands drop. So now I'm just going to play all taps. Right, and and that is another another way, another vibe of creating rudiments. So again, all doubles are not created equal, and the more that you can come up with different ways to play doubles, and then again tear them apart, put them back together again, uh, it's going to give you a a sense of uh, true clarity in terms of what you are producing. Again, that's the idea behind dissecting rudiments. Okay, so let's go to paradiddles, and I'm going to look at a single paradiddle and a double paradiddle here. So the single paradiddle, again, you could, you know, theoretically stick all of them, right? But that involves a lot of work on your part. And so, again, through a combination of downs and ups and taps and strokes, um, that's sort of the way that I teach these rudiments. And again, what's really cool is that Literally, in, in the course of study, when I teach, we literally start by just working. We, we even break, we even dissect the dissections, and we really break it down to taps and strokes. And in my opinion, taps and strokes are sort of the atomic uh, subparticles, if you will, of, of everything. I mean, everything can literally be broken down into a stroke, which is literally striking the drum using some downward force, and a tap, where we're not using any downward force, we're simply letting the stick drop onto the head. And if we combine taps and strokes in a variety of ways, we can actually produce even these rudiments that I'm talking about today. Single strokes, double stroke rudiments, paradiddles, double paradiddles, um, you know, taps, uh, sorry, flams, drags. Uh, All of these can be broken down to strokes and taps. So I teach a variety of different kinds of of concepts, exercises. One is that stroke-tap combination that I talked about. Once we learn each, we can put them together. Um, And of course, all the reason for teaching all this stuff is that it's designed to make playing all of these things more effortless and give them huge levels of clarity and articulation, increase the internal clock so that you know, everything you do is in time and is, you know, moving in a, in a beautiful kind of choreography, I guess, because we've thought through all these uh, bits and pieces uh, that we then string together in these different kinds of combinations. So with paradiddles, what I have is, I sort of do, I have a concept called pop and drop. Well, first, let's just define the paradiddle. So we talked about, you know, the idea of sticking everything in a paradiddle. It's not necessarily very efficient. So what is efficient is um, the idea of a, a down into taps. So if I strike, well, let me just play the paradiddle and, and then we can dissect it instead of talking about each hand. So the idea of paradiddle is uh, down, up, tap, tap. 
So I'm going to go down, up, tap, tap, down, up, tap, tap, down, up, down. So the up on the second note of the paradiddle leads to the down, which opens up the next group. And this up to down idea goes back and forth from left to right. So down, up, down, up, down. Right? And th that, that sort of helps us to set up the concept of the paradiddle. So if I now take this and I uh, swap it between my two hands, it sounds like this. Down, tap, tap, up, down, tap, tap, up. That's just one hand, right? Now if we analyze that idea of that one hand, I use, I use a technique that I call pop and drop. So when I do down into those two taps, what's happening is the stick pops up and then it just simply falls back down so that I'm really only playing one stroke and letting the other stroke simply fall back down as taps. Stroke to tap, stroke to tap. And then I set up to prepare for the next stroke. Up, down, to tap, right? So down to tap, up, down to tap, up, down to tap, up. Now I can work on this one exercise for a while without worrying about the other hand. And I can work on speed, clarity, etc., etc., uh, as it as it relates just to that one hand. Now I go to the other hand. Down to tap, up, down to tap, up. Now I just listened back to, to what was my right hand, but would be generally your left hand, I guess. And I didn't really like the sound that I heard. To me, it wasn't as clean as the first hand. And so, you know, in my own playing, I do this all the time. And is it, well, how am I, am I warmed up today? What, you know, what's happening with, uh, you know, the, with this hand? Man, I need to work on my my right hand, which is for most people their left hand, perhaps their weaker hand. I play traditional grip. Is it that I'm not as clear with traditional with regard to my paradiddles, et cetera, et cetera. So, um, you know, by putting a mic on myself during this process, I'm discovering a lot of things that, hey, man, I need to go back and work on these as well. Now, you know, I've worked on them a lot, so maybe it's just that I haven't really thought about paradiddles for a while, or I'm not warmed up enough today, or maybe there's a weakness in my paradiddle playing. So, you know, this is a, a great way for us to check back in about what we are doing uh, in terms of, again, double-checking ourselves, okay? So, paradiddles. Let's go on to the double paradiddle. Now, the double paradiddle is cool because you can think of it in a couple of different ways, right? Double paradiddle is, of course... Uh, uh, you know, right, left, right, left, right, right, left, right, left, right, left, left. So it's essentially a six-stroke rudiment. You can play it either as a six-eight feel, uh, which is two groups of three, or you can play it as a uh, like a, a three-two feel, which is essentially uh, three groups of two. So you can either think of it as dip a dip a dip a dip a dip a dip a, or think of it as beta 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 beta. Right. So. Here's how those two things sound. One, two, three, four, five, six, one, two, three, four, five, six, one, two, three, four, five, six, one, two, three, or one, and two, and three, and one, and two, and three, and one, two, and three, or one, two, three, four, five, six, one, two, three, four, five, six, one, two, three, four, five, six, or 
Okay, so there's the rudiment right there, the double paradiddle. Kind of thought we'd think of it in two ways. We can either use it as a 6-8 thing, which we can use kind of as a, in a triplety way, or in a, in a more straight, uh, a straight kind of a manner. Uh, so let's separate these and see what we get. Here we go. And the way I think of this is uh, down, sorry, down, tap, to tap, tap, tap. Ha! Down, tap, to tap, tap, up. Down, tap, to tap, tap, up. Down, tap, to tap, tap, up. Pop, drop, to tap, tap, up. It's sort of... So think of it this way. Here's your 6-8 time. It's kind of like an African kind of a groove, right? Like an African clave. Pop drop to tap tap uh 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 pop right. The other way you could think of it is in again in that sort of three two or six four vibe. So pop drop to tap tap uh pop drop to tap tap uh pop drop to tap tap uh. Okay, so again, you know, in, in listening to these things and listening to how each, each hand handles that, you're, you're going to learn a lot more about that rudiment. Uh, for me, it's that last tap before the up that can get to be a little squirrely sometimes. So I know that that's, you know, what I have to work on. And what I often advocate for my students is, again, make exercises within exercises. So even, you know, in that long uh, stretch of notes that I just played, find, you know, break those down and continue to, you know, this, this concept again applies to what I call deliberate practice, which is that we continue to break things down until we get things into small enough sort of bite-sized chunks that we can create an exercise to develop just those chunks. And this is the way that I advocate that you practice everything. Say you're learning a song for your band. Don't just play through the song over and over and over again until, you know, that's an inefficient way to practice. Record yourself playing the song, figure out those particular spots where you're having problems, break those out, create exercises, or just focus on those particular spots until you have them mastered, and then plug them back in. Much more efficient. Okay, so moving on, let's go now to flams. I'm going to take one of my favorite exercises, which is called, you know, the flam tap, something that we play a lot and a flam tap, of course, is just a flam followed by an eighth note. So flam tap, flam tap, flam tap, flam tap. One and two and three and four and. Now, if I break this rudiment down, let's separate it, okay? Sounds like this. So we get this thing happening, and that's really just what's happening in each hand. And the way I play this would be pop, drop, drop, pop, drop, drop. So one stroke followed by just letting the stick fall back down into two more taps and then lifting into the next stroke. By playing two taps following the stroke, we can develop speed because then we're not trying to play three separate strokes. We're playing one stroke and then letting the other two items just fall as taps. So again, now if we put the two hands together, it sort of sounds like this. 
Uh, so, move it back. Right? And, you know, that's pretty hip. It's a pretty hip rudiment that you can apply uh, around the drum set. It fills uh, whatever. The flam tap is one of those ones that just rolls right off the tongue, so to speak. And uh, once you get it down, you relax, and you apply those those different concepts, then, um, then there you go. Uh, I'm going to take another flam rudiment now, which is the Swiss triplet, because this rudiment is very popular uh, in playing fills, in using it in jazz. It's another one of those that once you get it down, like I said, you know, about the flam tap, it just kind of plays itself in a way. So let's listen to the Swiss triplet. Of course, Swiss triplets are a particular sticking combination where now we're actually going to have, you know, everything I've shown you so far is um, either if it's a paradiddle type of a thing or the flam tap, it's, it's the hands, each hand is playing the same thing, right? Uh, they may be playing it at different parts in the bar, but we're just getting sort of combining both hands playing the same idea back and forth. But with a Swiss triplet now, things are going to change a little because a Swiss, tr Swiss triplet tends to, to always focus the flam on one side. So a Swiss triplet sounds like this. And again, naturally, it sounds like a triplet, right? Blegada, 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 blegada. But we can also kind of give it a polyrhythmic twist and sort of play it over the bar line. So if the time is here, two and three and four and blegada, 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 right? So sorry, I was a little clumsy the way I was singing it, but you can hear that sort of three over four feel. So I'm going to tap my foot now and play against that the Swiss triplet. And for example, if you're taking your flam and moving one stick up to, um, to the ride cymbal, you get this really you know, cool sounding rudiment. So let's analyze this and then let's talk about why it's important to understand the different roles of the hands when we're on the drum set. Um, so what is, what is each hand doing in the Swiss triplet? Well, let me split them and uh, I'm, I'm playing a, a, a right flam, the dominant note in the flam is the right hand. So I'm going to move uh, my left hand to my leg right now. So what my right hand is doing is the first and second notes of a triplet. One trip, two trip, three trip, four trip. One trip, two trip, three trip, four trip. And again, I'm going to apply this concept of pop and drop. So I'm not trying to physically stro stroke each of those notes. Instead, I'm letting the first note be the stroke. The second note is a response. It's a drop. Sorry. Right? So one triplet, two triplet, three triplet, four triplet. One triplet, two triplet, three triplet, four triplet. One triplet, two. Now let's look at what the other hand is doing. If, again, I have my Swiss triplet and I split it to the other side, this hand is doing a similar thing. In other words, it's playing two par partials of a triplet, but it's playing uh, the sh a shuffle pattern, essentially. So it's going two, a three, a four, a one, a two, a three, a four. And the two hands connect at the part where the flam happens, which is on uh, sort of the, the opening uh, note of that triplet partial. 
right? So one triplet, two triplet, three triplet, four triplet, one. Trip two, trip three, trip four, trip one, trip two. So now I can work on this exercise by itself. And again, I don't want to go, I want to pop and drop. Let it pop and fall back down. Ba 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 And on the other hand, da 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 da. So it's uh. Here's this hand. I'm going to swap the hands now. So if I speed it up now, it's sort of like as fast as I can do one hand is as fast as I can play this rudiment. Right, so you can, again, you can hear how they all come together. And what I love about flam taps and about Swiss triplets is because you have this flam idea in there, you can really burn it, right? Now, if I put that, um, that right hand up on the ride cymbal um, and then bring it back, so bidaba, 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 uh, it, it, it begins to become apparent that if the two hands are not each holding its own. If, if they're not both clear, as soon as you move them to different surfaces, you're immediately going to hear this disparity, right? And a lot of times, you know, people teach, say, paradiddle type of groove. Okay, play a paradiddle between your hi-hat and, and your snare. So here's my hi-hat, my leg, here's my snare. Right? So by, you know, by, by moving the hands apart, for example, you can create a really hip kind of funky rock roof. So it's, you know, a common thing that is taught. Again, if your paradiddle is sort of weaker on one side or not uh, as focused, then uh, that will become very apparent when you move it to the drum set. So this idea of dissection works really well. All right, so I'm going to do one more rudiment. And that rudiment uh, is the is a bit more of an obscure rudiment, a little harder to play, but it's also one that it's a flam rudiment and it sounds really great. It's called a paddy fla fla. Paddy fla fla. And basically this rudiment is made up of two single strokes followed by two flams. And so it has this sound of fla fla ba ba fla flam ba ba fla flam ba ba fla flam. Hence the term pata fla fla. Uh, so it sounds a little like this. Right now, it's um, it's again, it's a it's a cool kind of a rudiment that if you get it up to a little bit of speed, you can use it on the snare drum. And you could split the flams between drums uh, and come up with all kinds of cool sounding ideas. But the point here is that if you then split it between sides, each hand kind of does a slightly different thing. So here's uh, here's what that sounds like. So one side is going ba 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 ba. The other side is almost has this little delay happening. Ba 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 ba. Why? Because that's how the distribution of grace notes to main strokes plays out uh, when you set up 
the left to right or the right to left. Uh, so it's a little bit it's a little bit unusual. But again, a complex rudiment like the pataflafla, uh, if you pull it apart, dissect it, and really take a look at each hand, it's going to be very very instructive as you wend your way through. So um, what I might do is I might. Uh, I'm a really I'm really bad with like finale and transcription programs, but what I might do is draw out uh, some examples of all these rudiments and post it as a sheet in the show notes to this podcast. So um, yeah, let's do that. Go ahead and do that. And uh, if you have any questions, of course, you can always hit me up uh, about this concept or any other. I'm reachable through my Facebook page, Daniel Glass, drummer, author, educator. You can send me an email at danielglass.com, my website. And uh, of course, you can always write a comment in the, uh, in the drummer's resource uh, you know, comment section on the website. So I really hope you've enjoyed this little session on dissecting rudiments. And let's meet up again, say, next Wednesday for another round of interesting and thought-provoking conversation about drums, drumming, life, music, and beyond. Have a great one. It's Daniel Glass for The Daniel Glass Show on Drummer's Resource. Drummer's Resource.